Hebrews 12. Uh, let's see. Again, we'll, we'll start at 18 and then read through uh, the end of the chapter because it's all re- really interconnected there. Hebrews 12, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which we read about in Revelation 21 earlier. You've come to innumerable angels and festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, as opposed to Moses. And you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That would be the blood of Christ, not of bulls and goats. 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And who is speaking? Who have we clarified this morning? It's Jesus. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven before the throne of God above, right? That's where he is. At that time, meaning at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Quote, and this is actually from uh, Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, I believe. Um, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's the end of that quotation. And then he picks back up in 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, so the three we, we, we stuck in in verse 25, 26, and 27 this morning, and the three sort of headings to get through those three verses were a sober warning, somber warning, right? The warning that's coming through the speak through Jesus speaking a word of warning. And can y'all remember what that warning was? We can we was that? Don't refuse him. Listen to him. And ultimately, if you neglect his word, not just his warning, but he's warning not to neglect all of his other words because he has spoken. I think it's interesting that when we looked at Hebrews 1 this morning, it says he has spoken. So it's, it's done. He's spoken. But yet, 
what he has spoke is still speaking, right? It's still, as we would say in Hebrews 4, living and active. So he has spoken, yet what he has spoken, it is still speaking. So if you neglect his words, his word, you will not escape what is to come, judgment. And again, a reminder that this was written to a a group of Christians, um, and he was telling them not to plug their ears, not to turn their backs on him, but to listen to him. Um, so the, the somber warning, and then uh, in 26, what were they escaping? In 26 and 27, we saw the savage or violent judgment that was to come, the shaking that was to shake all things, heaven and earth, uh, and that everything that was made, which everything is made, was going to be what? Wiped out, passed away, rolled up, burn up, however you want, whatever passage you want to use to describe it. So that in order, or he says, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Well, what remains? That third that third point was the sacred, the sacred remains. And this is where this is where um how I say this. I could have just brought to you and said, we will remain. But that's not the right way to approach that. Because the only way that we remain as the church is that the only thing that truly can't be shaken is Christ. The only thing that will remain is Christ. Just like how he started Hebrews 1 in quoting um I think it was a psalm, and he said, So you, Lord, the sun, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens, so there's the earth and the heavens, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. Right? And then in Revelation 6, who can stand? Well, it's Christ. It's the head. But then, knowing that it's only Christ that can stand, the eternal, righteous, lawkeeper, He's the only one that can stand. Well, if he's the head and he remains, his body must remain as well. The body remains the church because the head remains. And so then he says in 28, and so 28 we're going to talk about next week, which is it's sort of the, the, the you know, he, he gives you all this and he speaks of this warning, but then he's, he, should, he gives you this encouragement Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if we are in Christ, we are in that kingdom that cannot be shaken. So that was the, the brunt of what we looked at this morning. And then I had four takeaways that we, we didn't talk about and what we're going to get to tonight. So it's more like, what, how, how should this affect our lives sort of thing? Okay, how can we, how can we take what we saw here and apply it to our lives. How ought to how we ought to be changed by what we see here? That's a good way of thinking about it. And I've reversed the order of what I gave you because the first two we're not going to spend a lot of time on. Um, one because we're going to talk about the the first one next week. So let me just give you the first one. The only people who will remain with Christ who aren't shaken 
are those who in their gratitude offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's how the ver- that's how the section ends, right? Like if if you've received this kingdom, you cannot be anything but filled with gratitude. But man, that word I wish I knew more of of like the Greek sense of that word because that word gratitude sort of in the English kind of just has this wah, wah feeling to me. Am I the only one? And so but it, I think there's a hint there because if you've got the the new uh, the King James it says grace instead of gratitude. And so there's more to that word, that Greek word that maybe we can explore another time. But you would have to imagine that the magnitude of that word has to come close to like trying to match the magnitude of what we have received. Does that make sense? Like imagine you got the gift of a lifetime and you're like, I'm so I'm so grateful. I have gratitude in my heart. That's not how you would expect to respond. But if you just came, it's like, and you know, you just laid yourself out bare before the person who gave you that gift, and you're expressing, and you just don't know the words to say. It's just the gratitude of my heart is overwhelming and exploding, and this and that. And you know, you're just trying to match your your emotions, your feelings, your affections for the gift giver is trying to match that of who the gift giver and its gift. Um, I don't want to spend any more time about that. We're going to come back to that next week. But I do want to go back and read Psalm 125 again to help us think about how the reality of being in a kingdom that cannot be shaken ought to just motivate us. And the thing about Psalm 125, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just the Lord working on me in this passage but when I read Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2, it is just, oh, I can't explain it. No, just This is one of those times where I've told you, it's like, I'm just trying to express to you something that I've got in my mind and heart. And sometimes it's just me just saying it over and over again, hoping that the Spirit of God will help you see that which he's letting me see. And I think this is probably, again, one of those times. So think about Mount Zion, unshakable, you know, what's going to remain forever. And then let's look at Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So those who trust in the Lord cannot be moved, will not be shaken, will remain, abide forever. Now here's the reason why. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so you gotta, you've got to understand that when we see Mount Zion and then we see in another, another sentence Jerusalem, we're talking about the same location. We're talking about the same place in this portion. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. So your trust is in that which protects you, which surrounds you, which gives you the, the, mm, the, the, the reality of uh, – I've not got words there for it. We trust in the Lord. He is like the mountains that surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. But look for, look for how long this is for. From this time forth 
and forevermore. And that just makes me want to give him my worship. That is in reverence and in awe in knowing that in him I cannot be moved. I will abide forever. I will be surrounded by his protection this time forth and forevermore. Okay, so that is number one. That when we understand our reality in Christ, we, are, we, sh- we ought to be driven to gratitude and to worship. Next week we're going to define that term worship a little bit more. And I just want you to understand right now, it's more than singing. Okay, it's more than singing. Okay, number two. We won't spend a lot of time on this one either because we've already spent a lot of time on this one. The only people who will remain who are uh, unshakable with Christ are those who are pursuing the holiness of God in their lives. So back to Hebrews 12. And this one's real simple because it's in Hebrews 12 already. We've read this already. Verse 14, right? Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. As we've read Hebrews 10, 11, and into 12... We've understood something about God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that's this. They have worked to accomplish your holiness. The Father has willed it. We've seen that. The Son has purchased it. And the Spirit is given to you to live it. That's the work of the triune God For the sake of your holiness. Um, And so if we find ourselves not pursuing that. Then we find ourselves. Working opposite. Of the triune God. And that just doesn't work for a Christian. That just doesn't make any sense. Right. That's God going this way. And you going this way. Um. And I think I mentioned this a week ago. If you just wanted a really easy sense of how you can define holiness in pursuit of it, just just think of it this way. I want to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. I got in trouble for saying hates the other day after I said that at home. So It is true, but we're not allowed to say hate in our house. <laughs> But we hate the things God hates. We'll allow that one. But that is that is our pursuit of holiness. God, And where do we understand what God loves and what God hates? How do we figure that out? He's, he's spoken it, right? He's told us. He's told us. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I mentioned... Uh, in Revelation 14 this morning, and this is out of my notes, so I'm probably not going to do this very well. I mentioned in Revelation 14, we saw that the Son, the Lamb, is standing where? On Mount Zion. Who else is with him? It says the 144,000. And I expressed to you all that this morning that that is the church. 
That is the saints from old to new. All who are found trusted in God through Christ. Whether it be, again, David or us or someone who is to come near. Now, there... There are other ways of interpreting that, and, I, and I'm going to say this for the sake of understanding holiness, not for the sake of getting uh, real uh, nerdy about Revelation interpretation. Look at Revelation – actually, don't look at Revelation 14. Stay in Hebrews 12 for a minute. And after Paul um, – no, after the writer um, says in verse 14 – Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says some things that feel out of place. At least to me they do. Verse 15. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, what is the, what is the opposite of defiled? Holy. Okay? Holy. You're either holy or profane, uh, holy or defiled, pure or defiled. So, but then look what he says in verse 16. So that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So you've got him talking about Esau, whom we know ser- sold his birthright, but yet he throws in this reality of sexual immorality. And he says, okay, strive for holiness and make sure that no one becomes defiled and no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now, if you look through, especially the New Testament, you think about Romans 1. What is um, Romans 1? Those who suppress the truth, the unrighteous, um, where does it go from there? Sexual immorality, right? So, but Christians are called to purity, and holiness to be undefiled. Now go back to Revelation 14. I hope y'all pick this up the way I'm trying to explain it, because I'm not sure I'm doing it very well. Now look at 100. Uh, look at Revelation 14. Now you might have heard that people describe this 144,000 as Jewish men who are virgins, and a literal 144,000 of them. You might not have heard that interpretation. You might have. And if you read it, you can see how that comes about. No one, uh, verse 4. So of the 144,000, it is these who have not defiled themselves. Okay, there's a word that we've already read. Defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. They're pure it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. They're holy. They're pure. They're undefiled. This is the, this is the, this is the illustration of a Christian in Christ. Seeking holiness. This is a depiction of who will remain. Um, and that's why that's why you get this odd statement in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, where he warns us not to be defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. 
we seek purity. Um, Paul tells the Thessalonians that the will of God for you is your sanctification. You know what that means? Your holiness. You know what he says right after that? Don't be sexually immoral. Because that's the thing that we as fallen creatures fight with and struggle with and have for all mankind. Now, we can talk more about that later. But the point being is that those who will stand and remain with Christ are in pursuit of holiness. And the sexually immoral will find themselves in no way with Christ on the final day. No one who is uh, defiled. Okay, I'm sure I've confused you enough on that one. Let's go on. Number three. The only people who will remain are those who are eager and love the appearing of Christ. This is the one we're going to spend the most of our time on. The only people who will remain are those who are eager and love the appearing of Christ. Okay, so let's go to 2 Timothy to the left. Chapter 4. Now let's think about this for a second in human terms. We are going to spend eternity with Jesus. If you're not eager to see him now, do you think you're going to be excited about eternity? You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's a human speaking, but uh, yeah, you get my point. Now look at Second Timothy chapter four or chapter yeah chapter four, verse eight. It's just a few words here at the end. Henceforth there is laid up for me. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day. What day do y'all think that is? The final day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The only people who are going to remain with Christ and stand with him forever are the ones who are passionate about his return. Passionate about his return. Um, I saw Spurgeon said this. This seems then to be a distinguishing mark of a true child of God that he loves the appearing of Christ. Now I want to I want to pick on our desire to get love right a little bit because it's we have well if you look in the if you look over the last 40 or 50 years maybe even further than that the world has redefined love for us right in a lot of many different ways you think about the 60s you've got it defined one way that way you think about it in the 90s in the early 2000s and it's just there are different we 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 just see love differently in the world and we as good bible believing christians we know that you can say you love god all day every day 
But if you don't obey him, you don't love him. Right. And so we get there and we're like, yeah, that doesn't work. You got you got to if you love him, you will obey him. But here's we've I think we've swung the pendulum too far. We've responded. We've reacted too harshly to free love and all this other stuff. And I love God and I, I can do what I want because the reality of the reality of love is that it's not just an action. It actually is an affection of the heart. It actually is a feeling. We can't just say, I love because I do. No, we do because we love. Okay? Um, I, I, I'm going to see if I can give this. I heard, a, I heard a, um, John Piper give an illustration this week about it. I think I've heard him say it before. And so I'm at, he's and I'm I'm just gonna use him and his wife. He says he comes home after work, uh, and it's his anniversary, and so he brings his wife flowers and meets her at the door. He knocks on the door, and she's surprised, and he, he she opens the door, and she's like, "Oh, John, you brought me flowers, uh, uh, so wonderful." He's like, "Yeah, it's my duty." <laughs> I, it show this shows that I love you, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. That it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> do I need to go on any? We understand the point, right? We we do what we do because of the affections of our heart, right? But we can't be like, oh, I feel. It's, it's just, it's not all about feeling, and it's just not all about doing. Okay, so the Christian, the Christian has to have a heart that beats for Jesus, not just a, oh, Jesus says I gotta obey him because that shows that I love him, so I'm going to. That's that's gonna, that's gonna get you shaken up on that day, okay. Um, and if you go back, if you missed Sunday school, you missed a good you missed a good lesson from Dan this morning when he goes back and thinks about how the church in Christ is pictured in a bride and a groom in a marriage, right? So we can think about how we interact as husbands and wives, and how we do love our spouses, but then we treat Jesus as if it's just cold and I have to do because I know I have to do. It doesn't work that way. He is our groom, and we are his bride, and he loves us just like the husband loves the wife. And the love for you, I know you all love your spouse or your family member, but you don't love them like you love your sister in Christ who sits behind you, right? The love in marriage is different. It's different. That's why that's why in Ephesians 5 we see husbands are told to love their wives like Christ loved the church, right? So we, we, we can't we can't make loving Jesus just simply an action or doing, though the doing falls out of 
the loving. Okay, so we, if we love Christ, guess what we're going to love? His appearing. Come, Lord Jesus. That's how we finish Revelation 22, right? Right? Not to wipe everything out or to get rid of everything. Yes, that's a plus, but, but we want to see his face. We want to see his face. All right, Hebrews 9. So on our way back to Hebrews 12, stop at Hebrews 9. Again, on the idea of being eager and loving his appearing. Verse 27. So again, you see, starting in 27, similar themes to what we talked about this morning as far as judgment and Christ's return. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are, look at, here it is, eagerly waiting for him. Those who are eagerly waiting for him. So let's make sure we understand something because it might be a little confusing considering all that we talked about with judgment this morning. He's saying Christ's return, the ESV says not to deal with sin. Um, and that's kind of confusing because when we know when he returns, he's going to handle sin. You know what I mean? Judgment is going to come. But that's not what he means in um, 28 when he says he's not to deal with sin. The NASB says it a lot lot clearer, that he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, for those who are eagerly waiting for him. So when Christ comes back, he's not coming back to deal with your sin. Do you know why? He's already dealt with it. He's already dealt with it. Verse twenty, uh, The beginning of verse 28, Christ having been offered... As a sacrifice, wants to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with their sin, those who, but to save them, uh, who are eagerly waiting for him, to complete our salvation, to finish it fully. And so, eagerly waiting. The Greek word there, uh, mine is eagerly waiting. The 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 King James. Um, is different. It doesn't. It that the English in the King James doesn't manifest the idea of eager, but that Greek word. Uh, I think the NASB inserts eager as well. Um, the idea of the waiting. That word is the fact that you're waiting in hope, right? That that expectation of it happening. That's the, that's that's who's eagerly waiting. Those who are hopeful for his return. Not hopeful as in I hope it happens, but hopeful as in it's going to happen and I can't wait for it. Um, let's see here. Now, okay, there's uh, one more thing I want us to think about. It's sort of kind of a rabbit trail here. Um, so when, when he returns, we love his appearing and... First John says, when we see him, we will be what? Like him. So when he returns, something's going to happen. Some transformation is going to take place. Because you remember how I said that in Hebrews 12, that everything that has been made will be shaken? And what did I say that we're made out of? Dirt. Right? We're actually... So our, in a sense... 
we're a part of the things that have been made and that could be shaken and could be removed forever. So there's actually something that happens when Christ returns that keeps us from being shaken and removed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, it's even better than that. Just wait. Oh, it's even better than that, Mike. First Corinthians 15, verse 42. So remember I said when he returns, when we see him, we will be like him. Well, 1 Corinthians 15 helps us to understand this and helps us clarify why we will not be shaken even though we're made of dirt. Those who are in Christ, that is. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. The dirt, the dust. What is raised is imperishable. So when Christ's foot hits the ground and we are resurrected, if we have died and we're resurrected from the dead, or we are made in a twinkling of an an eye like Christ, whatever it is, however we are, we will then no longer be in these perishable bodies of dirt. But as everything else, now I don't know the timeline or how it works out, but the idea is that as, as with his voice shakes and destroys and rolls up and burns up all things that were made to bring about something new, the, the, thing, about, the thing of us that is going to happen is that we are going to be made new with these new imperishable bodies. So that's sort of the, the dynamics of why we as human beings made of dirt aren't going to be shaken and removed forever. It's because we are going to be made like him with a body that is imperishable. This passage is so good. Let's just read, read the rest of it. Verse 43. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that being Christ, is from heaven. As As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. Shakeable. Okay. And as if the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. They remain forever. Just as we have borne the image of man of the of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. How glorious is that? How beautiful is that? So here's what I want to finish this. Um, this third one with is what if you don't love or long for his appearing? I, I might we might say that the first sort of troubleshooting to do is you might not know what you're waiting for. You might not understand the glory and the beauty of what we just read that what's a, that that's going to take place when he returns. Because if you don't understand it, if you don't know it. You can't love it. Your heart 
cannot be in love with that which your mind does not know. You understand? Your heart cannot love. You cannot feel affection for that which you do not know. Um, mindless love or faith is no love or faith at all. You understand? Um, so if 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 you're pressed in this moment of saying, oh man, this hits home. I don't know if I love or long for his appearing. So what what must I do? Okay, the first the first one is the most important. Three steps. Number one, repent. Okay, you are in sin if you don't love and long for the second coming of Christ. Because if you don't again love and long for the second of coming of Christ, you might find yourself not in love with Christ. Think about the first great commandment. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? So this is this is it's a hard saying to say, but if you do not love the Lord, if you do not long for him, you are in sin and need to turn from it and repent. Which means acknowledge it to him, confess it to him. I fall short. And loving and longing you, Jesus, and your return. That's step one. But we can. What, what can we be assured of if we confess our sin? He, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's right. Um, number one, repent. Number two, begin to seek. What is lovely about Christ? Begin to seek his beauty and his glory. What makes him altogether lovely? And again, he has spoken these things. It is his word that you find his glory, his beauty, his loveliness. Okay? It begins in seeking his face in his word. And then the third thing is prayer. To ask God to reveal to you what is altogether beautiful and lovely about Jesus. And ask him to cause you, to help you, to make you love his son. It's okay to pray a prayer. I don't feel like this, God. I need you to help me. I need you to, I need you to work in me. It's, so, it's, it's just confession. That's all it is. And it's dependency and it's faith. It's it's depending on God for the things that we know are commanded. Um, and it, it's it's only it's only by the power of God that any of us love Jesus. Um, I I asked somebody the other day. They were talking about loving. The Lord and worshiping him and I asked them a question I said can anyone love the Lord can anyone love Jesus without the Spirit of God and their answer was yes they must love the Lord Jesus in order to receive the Spirit of God and I want you to understand that that is impossible 
It is impossible to do anything that pleases God apart from the empowering of the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And that, and I pointed out this passage that doesn't talk about love, but basically does. Uh, first, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12. says that nobody can call Jesus Lord apart from the Spirit of God. Right? And if you're calling Jesus Lord, I want to guarantee you something. You love him. Okay? So we have to understand that. And I, I'm saying all this to say this. If you, if you feel like you fall short in loving and longing for Christ and his return, prayer, if you do not pray, then you're trying to do something apart from the power of God. That, that If you don't have it, you cannot do it. You cannot do what God calls you to do without the power of God, the dwell, indwelling Holy Spirit within us. So repent. Begin to seek what is lovely and glorious about him and ask God to reveal it to you and to cause you to love him. Um, Let me just read number four. Let me just read the last one and a couple statements and then we'll go. We'll close the last one. The only people who will remain who will who will not be shaken with Christ are those who are heavenly minded, not seeking to live for things that will be shaken Things that will not remain. Okay, so here's what we have to understand. This is kind of an obvious statement. Eternal life is eternity surrounded by things that cannot be shaken. Let me me say that again. Eternal life, that which we receive through Jesus, is eternity forever being surrounded by things that cannot be shaken. So again, if you don't love those kind of things now, you're not really going to care for them in eternity. Right. You understand? You see what I'm saying? Um, and that's why we won't read it. Matthew 6, you know, Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Right? Because what's going to happen? They're going to be shaken. They're going to go away. They're going to be burned up. Yeah. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because those things remain forever. Right? Uh, that's Matthew 6. And then you, you, you just go read Matthew 6. There you go. Um, but then the, the easiest one here and probably has to be one of my most favorite verses is Colossians 3. And we'll read this and we'll, we'll go home. It's crazy when you start talking about the second coming of Christ and then you see it in all of these verses you normally quote. But don't think about it in the sense of, okay, the second coming of Christ. And Colossians 3 is one of them. Verse 1 through 4. And then I want to connect this really quick back to loving Jesus. Um, Look at it. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. So where is that? In heaven. At the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. Verse 3. For you have died. And your life is hidden. With Christ in God. When Christ who is your life. Appears. Then you also will appear with him. Look at that. In glory. Imperishable. Unshakable. Remaining forever. So do not get caught up. In the perishable. Do not get caught up in wealth 
and power and even relationships or bank accounts or land and cattle. Don't get caught up and consumed in these things because they take and draw. They become idols and you no longer see Christ as lovely, but then you start worshiping these uh, these things that are going to perish and fade away. Um, so if you're not heavenly minded, if you're not seeking the things where Christ is, it might be it might hinder your love for Christ. Perhaps you don't burn with love for Jesus because your head is pointed downward on these sort of things, not on where He is. Um, when we want we want to be people like Moses when he comes out of the tent and from the presence of God, or when he comes down out of the mountain, that the people knew he had been with with God because why? His face shone. That I mean, we're not going to walk around with shining faces, but our spirits are going to be bursting forth from the glory of loving Jesus, of seeking Him, to be in His presence. To see him face to face. That is our pursuit and to be transformed. We want to come into the presence of people and they get a sense that we have been transformed by the by Jesus Christ. We don't want people to say, oh, they're good Christians. They're so, del- so self-disciplined. They do all the right things. But we want them to know and understand that we do all the right things and are self-disciplined because we are in love with Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. That's we'll close for this evening. Any thoughts or questions as we dismiss? Okay, let me pray. Lord, we know that the um, the leopard can't change his spots, but by the, your divine power, you can change our hearts. We cry out to you tonight and ask that you increase our love for your Son with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you would show us how beautiful and glorious and lovely he is. And that when he returns, we'll be breathless. Teach us to worship. Show us how to be grateful. Give us the hope of standing on Mount Zion with our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a a blessed week. Man, I'll see you Tuesday at 5.30.